Dear friends, you probably know uh, David. He came to Plum Village uh, during a winter retreat. So he uh, is an American uh, young man. And while he was in the upper hamlet, we gave him uh, a homework to do. Uh, the homework was for everyone, not just for him, but he thought that uh, he could not do it. That is about to write a love letter to, uh, to one's uh, father. He could not uh, do it. Writing a love letter is a practice. And um, he told us that uh, the fact of thinking about his father makes him uh, very unhappy already. Not to say sit down and write a letter. Every time he thinks of, uh, he thought of his father, he, the suffering just overwhelmed him. And his father had already passed away, and yet he could not reconcile with him. So when I learned that he, uh, he was in that situation, I offered him uh, the exercise of uh, um, the five-year-old boy. I'm breathing in. I see myself as a five-year-old boy. Breathing out, I smile to the small, to the five-year-old boy that was myself. I asked him to practice that uh, for a week. Walking meditation, sitting meditation, doing things in the garden, in the, in the kitchen, and so on. When you breathe in and you see yourself as, as a five-year-old boy, you can touch the vulnerability, the um, uh, fragility, of yourself. You are too fragile. A stern look from an adult can already create a wound within yourself. And when your father shouts at you, uh, shut up. And then you, you, you got a, another deep wound within your heart. As a five-year-old boy, you already have uh, your suffering, your difficulties. And sometimes you try to, to express that to your father or to your mother. But it seems that uh, they are not patient enough to wait for you. You don't have enough words. You don't know how to speak uh, yet. And you try your best. And that irritated them. And they may shout at you. And if uh, they shout at you like that, it is like um, um, a bucket of uh, ice water pouring on your heart. And next time you won't dare to do it again, to try to do it again. So you are very fragile, vulnerable as a five-year-old boy. And when breathing in, you see that uh, compassion will arise in you. Breathing out. 
I smile to the five-year-old boy who was me. You identify the little boy in you. And very soon, you realize that the little boy in you is always alive in you. And it needs you very much to take care of it. You have uh, deserted him for a long time. You don't know that he's still there. He needs your true presence. He needs you to come back and to take care of you. The little girl in you is always there, maybe deeply wounded. And if uh, you, go, you don't go back to her and uh, to talk to her, to embrace her, uh, to try to help and heal her, and then she will remain uh, wounded forever. So this uh, practice uh, should be uh, done during the first, uh, the first week. And then the next week I gave him another exercise, breathing in. I see my father as a five-year-old boy. Breathing out, I smile to that five-year-old boy who, who, had been, who had been my father. I said, if needed, you send for a picture of your father as a five-year-old boy. The family album may have, may have it, may have it. And uh, perhaps you have not had an idea about how your father would uh, look when he was five. But it's very helpful to be able to visualize your father as a five-year-old boy. As fragile as you were when you were five. As vulnerable as you when you were five. And you you got to, to see it by your visualization. Breathing in I see my father as a five-year-old boy. Breathing out, I smile to him, to that five-year-old boy. Maybe this is the first time you can see your father as a vulnerable uh, little child. And you begin to understand. Your father might have uh, been a victim like you when he was five. He may have been abused by his uh, father at that age. And he he did not have a chance to meet a teacher, to be with a sangha in order to take care of his wounds. That is why uh, he allowed that seed of suffering to grow up in him, and he has transmitted that, uh, that internal formation, that seed of suffering to you. And now, to get angry at him uh, is unjust. He was to be helped and not to be punished. So breathing in, I saw my father, I see my father as a five-year-old boy breathing out. I smile to him. That smile is already a smile of uh, understanding and of uh, compassion. The young man from America, he also got a picture of his father. Mm. Mm, as a grown-up person. And he placed that uh, picture on his little table uh, in his uh, tiny room in the upper hamlet. Every time he, uh, he was about to leave the room, he would stop at the, his table 
turn on the light and look into the eyes of his father and practice mindful breathing. Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, this is my father. This is breathing out, I smile to my father. And every time he got into his room, he would practice the same before he, uh, he lay down on his bed. I also offer him uh, the meditation on uh, the uh, emptiness of uh, transmission. The emptiness of transmission, what does it mean? It has to do very much with uh, the teaching of the 50 verses. Nothing can be by itself alone. Everything uh, depends on everything else. In any transmission, uh, there must be three kinds of uh, components, elements. First, there must be a transmitter. And then there must be an object to be transmitted. And there must be a receiver of the transmission. Three elements. Every time you have a chance to take a shower, look at your body. Breathe in and out deeply and look at your body as an object of transmission. Who has transmitted this body to you? Your father, your mother. And you ask the question as what, as what your parents have transmitted? What have they transmitted to you? And if you look deeply, you find out that they have transmitted something not less than themselves. They have transmitted themselves to you, nothing less. So the transmitter and the transmitted, are they two or one? Two or one belong to belong to another pair of opposites. You cannot say two, you cannot say one. Reality is like that. You cannot unpleasant uh, uh, reality in one or two of your concepts. Reality is free from concepts. That is the meaning of Nirvana. Nirvana means the extinction of all concepts. And then there's still the element that is called the receiver of the transmission. Who is he? Is he, is he distinct from the object transmitted and the transmitter? That body that has been transmitted, is it one with you or two? So, if you look deeply in the, the nature of your body, into the nature of transmission, you see that, uh, that uh, there is the emptiness of transmission. Although we think that there are three elements, but the three elements cannot be separated. Neither the same, nor the different. That is uh, the training. We have to learn how to look at things like that in order to begin to perceive uh, the realm of things in themselves. 
when he was young, he was very bold. He had declared like this, I do not want to have anything to do with my father. He was very sincere. But is it possible for us not to have anything to do with our father? Can you take your father out of yourself? If looking deeply, you see that you are the continuation of your father. You are your father. There is no escape. So if you declare that you don't want to have uh, uh, anything to do with your father, that is only your anger, your wish. In reality, that is impossible because you are your father. It's better to reconcile with your father within you. It is better to reconcile you with yourself. One day, after crying a lot, he sat down and he began to write a love letter to his father because the insight he had got. He cried a lot. He was able to see the suffering of his father. He was able to see the, his own ignorance. I had told him that uh, if you don't practice, you will transmit that suffering to your children and your grandchildren. So you practice for your parents, for your father, and for your students and your, uh, your children and their children. When you are able to make a peaceful step, you do it for all your ancestors, and you do it for all your children and future generations. That peaceful step is not only for you alone. When you are able to smile, all the ancestors in you are able to smile at the same time. It's very important. And that is why you need a Sangha to support you for that smile to become possible. You might think that a smile is nothing, but it is a lot to smile. You make uh, all generations of ancestors in you smile. It is liberation. It is transformation. Every mindful in-breath, every mindful out-breath, every peaceful step, every smile, is an act of liberation. You reclaim your liberty and you offer liberty to your ancestors and to your children.
David is there, sitting very close to you. Please do help him. Or David may be yourself. Michelle also came from North America. In that, uh, during that winter retreat, he was asked, together with other students in the upper hand, to list down, to write down the wholesome qualities of his father and his mother. That is a very easy exercise helping you to see all the values, all the jewels possessed by the father and the mother that you have. For Michelle, it's not difficult to write down all the qualities of uh, his father. Because his father is wonderful. He has a lot of uh, qualities. So, there's no problem concerning the homework relating related to his father. But for his mother, it's difficult. It does not seem that his mother had a lot of uh, qualities. So he was a little bit uh, skeptical. But because uh, he had been asked, and he had to do uh, he practiced walking, mindful walking, mindful eating, mindful sitting, mindful uh, um, walking, like any other practitioners. And that day, he sat down and began to look deeply to see uh, what are really the, uh, the qualities of his mother. And after a few hours of work, he was very surprised. He thought that uh, the maximum lines he could write down was three. But he has uh, listed uh, the qualities of his mother almost two full pages. It turned out that uh, he had some uh, resentment with his mother. One time he got uh, a great difficulty with his mother, and that suffering was uh, overwhelming. And that suffering uh, has prevented him to see, to see, to see many other qualities of his mother. And he had been sure that uh, the qualities of his mother was very limited. So during a few days of the practice, he really discovered a new mother, and it made him cry of joy. Yes, because of uh, some anger, some, some resentment, you are not capable of seeing all the values of the people, of the person you love. That's unjust. You may have been unjust, very unjust to the person you love. This exercise will help you to repair the injustice you have uh, done to the person you love.
And after having done the homework, he sat down and write a letter to his mother as uh, instructed. Writing a letter is also a deep practice. And he, in his letter, he said that thanks to this meditation, he has discovered a new mother. And he's very proud of her. He's uh, very happy. He feels like the happiest person on earth because he, he, he now has uh, realized that he has a mother with so many qualities. And guess what is uh, what, what was uh, the reaction of the mother when she received the letter? Her son had never written to her like that, with that kind of language. The letter struck her, and it's like a uh, an arrow that can um, save at the same time two birds. The arrow struck the branch, and two birds. The letter helped the mother to discover a new son because his son had never talked to her like that before. Only a letter that can reveal two treasures, a new son and a new mother. She cried a lot. She cried happily because of this new covering. But at the end, she felt some bitterness, some suffering. And it turns out that uh, she wanted very much herself to write a letter like that to her own mother. Because in the lifetime of her own mother, she had not had a chance to write such a letter to his mother. Now his mother, the grandma of uh, Michelle, was already dead. So she uh, telephoned her daughter-in-law and she told her about that. My daughter, your husband just wrote me a letter, a lovely letter. I'm the most, uh, the happiest mother on earth because uh, I received such a mother. And I desire so much to write such a letter to my mother. Unfortunately, my mother is already dead. And the daughter-in-law telephoned Michelle in Plum Village. Michelle wrote another letter. He said, Mother, my teacher said that uh, my grandma has never died. She's still alive in you. If you practice breathing in and out deeply, you find her still alive in you. You are my grandma. So write the letter anyway. I'm sure that my grandma will read it. (laughs) 
the insight has been transmitted to the sun, and the sun transmits the insight to the mother. And that goes perfectly with the teaching that you find in the 50 verses. And in fact, the mother had practiced. Just because she has a son practicing in Bangladesh, Sitting in her own country, she also has a chance to practice. And there she was, seated, sitting and writing a letter to her own mother, because she was convinced that her mother is still alive in her. And this is not something imagined, this is uh, the truth. If you are able to tap, into the ground of our being, we will touch the realm of no birth and no death. Nothing has lost. <coughs> Nothing needs to be recovered. Everything is still there intact. If you know how to establish yourself deeply in the present moment, and look deeply into what is there. So the practice is wonderful. It has the power of liberating, of restoring non-fear, peace, and joy.
when children are treated by parents with violence, they don't have, don't, they do not have the right to use violence back because of their position as uh, children. So that violence uh, penetrates deeply into their inner self and begin to destroy them. They don't have any means in order to return the violence. And even if they can return the violence, it does not mean that that violence can disappear. In the prisons, we see a lot of criminals. And these uh, people, especially the young ones, they are there because they have not been helped by anyone in the art of uh, taking care of the violence within and transform it. The terrorists are those who have suffered a lot because of violence. And the violence in them is very strong. And because they don't know how to transform that violence, they have to do violence back to society. They use bombs, they use guns, they use fire to burn. In France, they burn uh, a lot of uh, forest just because uh, they wanted to, to destroy, to retaliate. They don't know how to and who to punish. So whatever they can do in order to destroy, they do it. Sometimes they destroy the thousands, tens of thousands of acres of uh, forest. It's very easy to do that uh, during summertime. And they are not aware that by burning uh, the forest, they are burning themselves. They don't know that while placing a bomb to, to, to kill, to kill uh, the people in the bus or uh, in the market, uh, they are killing themselves at the same time. But because violence is there, if you don't know how to handle it, it will have to manifest itself in one or other way. Sometimes you, you commit suicide, you kill yourself. You kill yourself in order to punish your parents, to punish the people uh, who have wronged you. I have seen a daughter-in-law in a Confucian tradition 
a daughter-in-law when she suffers, she doesn't have the right to say back, to say something unkind to the in-law, or parents-in-law, or to her husband. So she just threw herself in a, on the street and she rolled, rolled, and rolled, and she beat herself. She destroyed herself because she cannot destroy the people she hates. Violence, if not, uh, if it cannot be used on the people you hate, will be turned to destroy yourself. And when a young person kills himself or herself, that is also to punish their parents, to punish their society, and not just to seek uh, the end of suffering. That is why we have to learn how to handle the violence in us, how to help the people around us to handle the violence in them and to transform. And in school, we don't learn things like that. We don't, people don't tell us how to, how to deal with our anger, how to take care of our anger, how to deal with our violence, how to how to transform our violence. In the prison, not only the in- inmates, the prisoners suffer, but the prison guards also suffer. The prisoners are very violent, and the prison guards are also violent, and violence using against violence, and both, uh, both uh, of them The same thing is true in school. The students, the pupils are violent. Maybe they have uh, been suppressed by their parents, by the society. So in school they try to, to get a relief. And they take it on their teachers. The teachers suffer very much. And if the teachers don't know how to handle their violence, they will become violent to their children, to their students. And both students and teachers suffer. That is why we should be able to help both the students and the teachers. And also the police with the... uh, the police who try to uh, preserve peace on the streets. And the gangsters. The gangsters are violent. And the police. The policemen, they do have a lot of violence in them also. Because they have suffered a lot also. The policemen are full of fear. Every morning, when they uh, are ready to go out for the two, uh, they don't know what will happen to them. Because they may be uh, killed or wounded by gangsters and other, other people who, uh, who hate police, who hate the police. 
So the policemen are motivated by their own fear, their, their desire to, uh, to remain alive. And they also are, are inclined to uh, suppress the other side with violence. So we should be able to help not only the gangsters, but also the police. Mindfulness practice can, can help us first to transform the violence within us, to nourish the compassion in us, the willingness to help change the society. And then we have to go out and apply the techniques of the practice in every uh, uh, environment, every kind of environment. That is why uh, mindfulness practice must be offered to society in Plum Village we have uh, meditated uh, more than a year now as how to offer mindfulness practice as a non-sectarian and non-religious practice that can be applied in school in hospitals uh, uh, in prisons in society. Because according to our experience, it is uh, perfectly possible to practice mindfulness as a non-religious thing, a non-sectarian thing. Instead of saying, I take refuge in the Buddha, uh, you can say, you can translate, I have confidence in my own capacity of waking up in understanding and loving. That kind of language will be accepted by every uh, religious tradition. And that is why we have, uh, I have asked uh, a number of friends uh, in Europe and in America to set up an organization called uh, the Association of Mindfulness Practice Centers. And we hope that in the future there will be one, at least one center like that in Asia City. And today I would like to uh, invite uh, you to, uh, uh, to join us in looking deeply to find out uh, ways in order to realize this kind of program. A mindfulness practice center is a place where everyone, anyone can come. And at any moment, you may come at the time when uh, you are having a silent meal. You are invited to share the silent meal. And someone among us will uh, give a briefing of a few minutes as how to enjoy a silent meal. And if you arrive at the time when you are working in the garden, vegetable garden, and then you join our mindful gardening, and one of us will uh, give you a five-minute briefing as uh, how to enjoy uh, uh, silent gardening and uh, every minute uh, of uh, your work, breathing in, breathing out. 
Of course, we have to train uh, our people to be placed in these uh, practice centers in order to, uh, to organize a full-time practice so that uh, in the city, if anyone needs to join the practice, they can come right away. They might telephone and they will be welcome right away. And, um, and the mindfulness practice center in the city may organize a days of mindfulness and short and long retreats uh, uh, in the cities or in the countryside. meditation with me <laughs> and they, they didn't want to go. Why do we have to go to go? Because they love the retreat. 
uh, parents uh, were there also in order to uh, support the children. We had uh, a lovely uh, uh, retreat for, for young people uh, that year. So uh, in a mindfulness practice center, we should have uh, a path for walking meditation, a space for sitting meditation, a place for um, sharing a silent meal, um, a garden, a playground for children, uh, 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 total relaxation, and so on. It's like uh, in a retreat. And we also need, um, I think uh, every one of us can, uh, can support uh, this project. Uh, if you are an architect, if you are um, um, a poet, if you are a writer, if you are a legislator, well, everyone, if you are a, 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 a journalist, you all can help with uh, this project. And uh, according to our experience, it is uh, absolutely possible to practice mindfulness as a non-religious uh, practice. And uh, you don't have to bow, to burn incense, uh, uh, to do like that in the practice center, uh, in the mindfulness practice center. Uh, and still, we can do everything uh, mindfully. We invest 100% of ourselves in the present moment. I suppose um, the person who comes is not uh, used to looking about. And then we have very ready to shake hands to put one hand on the other to show that I am investing 100% of myself in shaking your hand. I am really very pleased to meet you, not just a formula, not just uh, saying a formula, but you have to do it, uh, really. So please uh, do uh, reflect on this. And I think we need um, we need uh, uh, an address, an organization, in order to uh, to uh, to contact, in order to exchange uh, ideas and experiences. Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Uh, I will be there for the retreat with a number of monks and nuns from the village. Um, the retreat will begin on Sunday, June 14th and end Friday, June 19, 1998. Uh, for registration information about uh, the retreat, call Omega Institute. This is uh, in, uh, in the sheet with the address. 
And prior to that retreat will be a uh, 21-day retreat. This is a retreat um, called June retreat that takes place every two years in Plumville. But next year, it will take place in North America instead of Plumville. So you don't have to fly to Europe. The path of emancipation at St. Michael's College, Burlington, Vermont, a 21-day retreat with Tibetan and monks and nuns from Plum Village. This retreat begins on Saturday, May 23rd, 98, and ends Friday, June 12, 1998. During the retreat, we will learn in depth the teaching and practice of mindful breathing in order to nourish and heal ourselves and help others to heal and liberate themselves. The Sutra on Mindful Breathing will be studied in depth and we will discover that the practice of Mindful Breathing can lead to the release of all suffering and to the attainment of the state of no birth and no death. Dharma teachers, uh, meditation practitioners, uh, physicians, and nurses, therapists, social workers, and others in the helping profession can profit uh, from this retreat. And this is uh, the first time a 21-day retreat is offered in North America. And the retreat uh, will be held at St. Michael's College in Burlington, near Lake Chaplain. And the campus will provide uh, comfortable accommodation Uh, together with this, uh, I would like to announce that uh, that uh, 200 acres of land has been have been uh, offered to uh, build a uh, monastery for monks and nuns in the state of Vermont. Uh, that will be in Woodstock. And uh, there are a few, uh, there are already a few uh, houses there. So uh, in a few months, uh, there will be a number of monks and nuns living uh, and practicing exactly uh, in the style of the village. And if you are interested uh, to learn about uh, the monastery, uh, there is uh, an address somewhere. <laughs> Yesterday I talked about uh, nicotine and alcohol, uh, mindful driving, but I have not spoken about uh, the sex uh, industry and the uh, show business. The sex uh, industry and the show business uh, also are responsible for a lot of suffering in our modern society. We have to uh, practice uh, awareness about uh, 
the effect that these kind of industries uh, have produced daily in our uh, in our life, social and uh, individual life. We should uh, we should offer the practice to uh, the people we love to the younger generation so that they can know how to protect themselves. Because uh, people, they just want money. They do, they will do anything in order to get uh, money. So their products are full of uh, poisons, toxins. We just cannot allow our people to be intoxicated like that and destroyed like that. It is like uh, in the field of uh, smoking. We have tried. We have to try to bring it into the realm of legislation. We have. We get to protect ourselves, to protect our children, to protect our beloved ones, protect our society and our nation. We should not uh, allow it to to continue to destroy us like this. If you are a writer, if you are a journalist, if you are a filmmaker, if you are a legislator, if you are a teacher, please do your best to speak out about this and offer way to stop people from uh, the continuation of the destruction. And here we have uh, the five mindfulness practice, the five mindfulness trainings as the guidelines to this kind of action. We know the five uh, mindfulness trainings are the most concrete uh, ways of practicing mindfulness. If you look deeply into the five mindfulness trainings, we can see the Buddha, we can see the Dharma, we can see the Sangha, we can see the Kingdom of God, we can see the Holy Spirit, we can see Jesus Christ, we can see God. Because if we are determined to live according to the five mindfulness trainings, we get the protection. We can protect ourselves, we can protect our families and some our society. And that is a very uh, solid base for our action. Because when you receive the five mindfulness trainings, and if you uh, live according to the five mindfulness trainings, you are already on the path of a bodhisattva. You are motivated by a strong desire to protect your society, to transform the violence, the hatred, the anger in society. And that is why I have said uh, that every time I see a person uh, uh, make, making the determination to receive and practice the five mindfulness trainings, I'm very happy. And to practice the mindfulness uh, um, trainings, 
we need to get affiliated to a group people, a Sangha, in order for the practice to be solid, because we really need each other in order to practice uh, well. A Sangha is essential to our practice. I know that uh, all of us are motivated by the desire to practice. But practice alone, why it is possible, it is much more difficult than to practice uh, with the support of the Sangha. So I would uh, <coughs> propose that uh, we devote some time this afternoon uh, to discuss about uh, Sangha building. Uh, we might, uh, people who live in the same area might come together in uh, groups and they discuss how to continue the practice uh, as a Sangha after the retreat. And uh, when you go home, uh, please remember to pursue the practice of Sangha building. This is very essential and everywhere I go, I always urge my friends to do the same. The Sangha is our refuge. We need our Sangha. Let us go back to our verses. Now we are on the 16th. And uh, I believe that we have only read the 16th, the 17th, and so on. We know that the, from the 1st to the 15th, uh, it is about Alaya uh, Vishnana, Star Consciousness that we used to call the eight consciousness because there are eight consciousness and Alaya is always called eight. eight. <coughs> the first being eyes uh, consciousness. Because uh, when the Buddha uh, talk about the six uh, sense organs, he always say eyes first. Eyes, nose, Eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, and then manas, and alaya. So manas is the seventh, and manovishnana, mental consciousness, is the sixth. The sixteenth, the seeds of delusion, the internal formations of craving and afflictions, are the impulsive forces that agitate consciousness at the time name and form manifest themselves. When uh, name and form are manifested, uh, this uh, consciousness uh, is already existing. Name means uh, our mind and form means our body, you already know. Having alaya as a support, manas consciousness arise. Its function is mentation, grasping at alaya, which it considers to be its object, the self. 
actually know that uh, manas uh, root is rooted in uh, alaya and it turned to embrace alaya part of alaya and consider it to be the object of cognition the self and that function is called uh, mentation in Sanskrit, manyana, manyana, mentation. The object of manas is the mark of a self. Found in the realm of representations, created at the point where manas and store intersect. This we have uh, explained before. So the so the object that is called self uh, appears uh, is a product of uh, a constructive mind, invention of the constructive mind. It is based on ignorance on delusion. And that is why uh, that object of condition must be classed, must, must be classed in the realm of representations. Because the realm of representations uh, do not belong to the realm of uh, suchness, does not uh, belong to the realm of uh, things in themselves. The realm of representations is a realm uh, constructed, created by our deluded mind. It is like uh, we cannot see uh, the piece of rope, we can see only a snake. Wrong perception. as the ground for good and evil of the other six consciousnesses of transformation. Uh, we, we can call, uh, we can say, the six evolving consciousnesses. Because um, there, are, there are seven evolving consciousnesses. Beginning from uh, manas, and ending with eyes consciousness. The, first, the, the basic consciousness, the root consciousness, alaya, is not called an evolving consciousness, but all these are the seven are called evolving consciousness. So this uh, seventh consciousness, manas, is the base, is the ground for the other six consciousness. It means uh, mental consciousness and the five consciousness of sensation, they are based on this consciousness called manas. Manas is both uh, continuous and cogitating. Cogitating is uh, thinking, discerning, grasping. And continuous means uh, operating day and night without uh, stop. 
we know that uh, store also is also continuous. Store is always uh, changing, evolving, but store is uh, always uh, continuous. Its nature is both uh, indeterminate and abstracted. Abstracted because uh, of its delusive nature. Indeterminate, it means uh, it can be transformed into uh, something wholesome. The 20th manas goes with the five uh, universals. The five uh, universal mental formations such as uh, contact, uh, attention, uh, feelings, uh, perception, and evolution, volition, because uh, all consciousness grows uh, with the five universals. And with the uh, prajna, the five particulars, uh, it goes along with uh, the last one of the five particulars. Prasna here um, is uh, an idea, is, uh, a, uh, is um, an assertion, and not just uh, wisdom. You are sure that it is that, but it, you might be wrong. That is why the word prasna here does not mean uh, uh, prasna paramita, the, the, the true insight. It means that you believe uh, you are right. You are certain that, uh, that uh, you have got it, but you have got it wrong. You have got uh, the snake, while the reality is uh, the rope. So the f- from the five particulars, there is only one that goes with manas, that is prasana. With the four major afflictions and the eight secondary ones. The four major afflictions are ignorance about self, ngashi, wrong view about self, ngakin, uh, arrogance about self. Love of self, ignorance about self, prejudices about self, arrogance about self, and craving love about self. That is the four major afflictions that go along with manas. And then it go along with the eight uh, secondary afflictions. I guess that you have received the list of uh, 50, uh, 51 mental formations. No? Yes? Yes. And uh, the list is available in the box uh, on the table. And all these uh, 
all these uh, afflictions, all these uh, mental formations are indeterminate and obstructed just like manas. When these things go uh, with manas, they all become uh, obstructed and indeterminate, indeterminate like manas. Manas always follows thought. It's like uh, the shadow follow the body. Manas always follow the store, follow store like a shadow following its form. It is a defense mechanism, a blind instinct craving for duration and craving for satisfaction. That is manas. And its nature is delusion, is ignorance, is discrimination. The 22nd, when the first stage of the Bodhisattva path is attained, namely the stage of uh, joy, that 10 stages that a Bodhisattva would uh, go through before becoming a perfectly enlightened being, and the first stage is the stage of uh, joy, Huang Hidia. So the, the moment when you begin to practice the Bodhisattva path, you experience joy, first stage. And if you feel joy now, you are on the stage, on that stage. <laughs> when the first stage of Bodhisattva path is attained, obstacles of knowledge and afflictions begin to transform. And when arriving at the age stage, the yogi transforms his or her innate belief, or innate spirit self, The eighth stage is called Fabvandiya, uh, the cloud of the Dharma. Remember, in India, a cloud is always very welcome. The cloud is not an obstruction of the, of, uh, the good weather, but it's so hot that if there is a cloud and then you feel better, like you have a shade, and the cloud always can bring, can bring refreshing green. So the clouds in India, they, uh, they may give a, a feeling that, uh, that, uh, that is quite different from clouds in uh, countries where uh, uh, the sunshine is uh, a little bit too, uh, too little. So Dharma cloud means uh, uh, the eighth stage of the Bodhisattva. And one, when one arrives at the eighth stage, um, uh, the belief, the deep belief in a separate self will, be, will vanish completely. And Alaya is then released from Manas. Manas will detach itself or release uh, alaya as its object of uh, clinging, of grasping. And that is um, uh, liberation. <coughs> liberation from, uh, from delusion, from the inner belief in the self. Because before that, 
the intellectual uh, knowledge of non-self might have been obtained. We can obtain uh, the intellectual uh, uh, knowledge about non-self, but uh, self is a very deeply rooted, innate in us that we have to practice until we arrive at the eighth stage of a Bodhisattva in order to uproot all this, uh, uh, this, uh, this uh, innate belief in a separate self. And then Alaya is released. And Alaya becomes uh, the wisdom called the wisdom of the great uh, mirror. So from uh, verse uh, number 15 to verse number 22, that is about uh, the seventh consciousness, uh, Manas. Now with the 23rd, we come to uh, the sixth uh, consciousness called mental consciousness, or Manovijnana. With Manas as base and phenomena as objects. Phenomena means uh, means uh, ideas, notions. Dharmas. The mountain is uh, a phenomenon. The mountain is uh, an idea. The mountain is a concept, object of uh, mental consciousness. So the base of mental consciousness is uh, manas, and the object of mental consciousness is uh, phenomena, or ideas, or notions. Mental, conscious, mental consciousness manifests itself, and its sphere of cognition is the widest. I think we have read this already. And mental consciousness possesses three modes of cognition, and has access to three fields of cognition, and is capable of having three natures. All mental properties are concomitant to it. All the 51 mental formations can go along with uh, mental consciousness. The universal, five. The particulars, five. The wholesome, the unwholesome, and the indeterminate. The total is 51. As some of us have not quite uh, understood uh, uh, the three fields of cognition and three modes of uh, cognition, so I would like to repeat a little bit. The three fields of cognition. The first one is uh, the, f- the realms of things in themselves. It means uh, reality as it is, without being distorted by our way of uh, conceiving and understanding it. The piece of rope is the piece of rope and not a snake. A snake is a snake and not a piece of rope. And sometimes we call it uh, the ultimate reality. 
suchness. Reality as it is. The second field of cognition is uh, the field of uh, representation. Uh, the field of representations are not reality in itself. It has been constructed and built by our patterns of thinking. We are used to think in terms of self and permanence. We are used to think that uh, things exist uh, outside of each other. Namely, uh, um, um, in other words, we don't see the nature of uh, interconnectedness of things. We don't see that uh, the emptiness uh, of uh, uh, of uh, of everything, like the emptiness of transformation. We are caught by pairs of opposites. We, we really believe in uh, these pairs of opposite, like uh, birth and death, uh, uh, being and non-being. And that is why uh, the object of our consciousness uh, manifests themselves as only as the field of representation full of error. And that brings us a lot of suffering. And then the third field of uh, Cognition is the field of mere image. All the images that we have uh, got from the realm of representation, we store them in our store, in our alaya vishnana. The image uh, of a friend, uh, her beauty, her anger, uh, all these things are stored as visions, as seeds in our consciousness. And if we need, we, we go to, uh, to the archives and we take uh, these uh, things out uh, in order to, uh, to use. And during uh, our dreams, or we live in the realm of uh, mere images. And if you are a poet, you make use a lot of these, uh, of these things. And you combine images uh, that are already existing into new images. Like uh, you have the image of an elephant in your star consciousness, and you have uh, the image of a bird uh, in your consciousness, and you may like to uh, take uh, the bird, the wings of the bird, and put it on uh, the shoulders of the elephant, so you can see an elephant flying in the sky. That is the work of an artist. Uh, you imagine, and I think uh, architects uh, operate uh, very much the same way. <laughs> I would like also to uh, to repeat about the three modes of. Uh, Cognition. 
the first one is um, this intuitive. The second one is um, discursive. And the third one is erroneous. When the intuitive uh, mode is correct, you reach the feel of things in themselves. And all of us have had that kind of experience. When we deal directly with reality, we touch with reality with our non-thinking mode, non-discriminative mode, we are capable of reaching to the field of reality in itself. If we don't have a distinction between uh, uh, us, the perceiver, and the other thing as the object of uh, perception, Suppose uh, you, are, you stand there and you contemplate a beautiful snow, snowy uh, mountain. And in one or two seconds, maybe, you can attain, you could attain uh, uh, that kind of cognition. You don't feel that you are different from the snowy mountain top. The idea that you are one with it or you are different from it is not there. You just enjoy. You can be described as that mountain at that moment. Or you can say that that mountain is you at that moment. No object, no subject. And when you contemplate uh, the ocean, you may feel that you are immense. Because you, you, you don't discriminate between you and the ocean. Then you become immensity. And there are moments in our life when we can afford to touch the ultimate like that. But rare. Because uh, the patterns of our thinking that we have learned uh, do, does not, do not allow us to, to do that very often. And when, uh, when, when it is uh, intuitive, but not, uh, n- not that kind of, uh, of uh, experience, it means it belongs to the third category. Sometimes you have a direct uh, feeling experience. And you may think that it is, uh, it is uh, authentic, but it may be just uh, erroneous. It belongs to the third category. So it does not mean that when it is intuitive, that it's always uh, correct. When you say, I have impression that it is this, you might be wrong, or you might be right. The discursive uh, mode answer. You may use uh, logic, you may use uh, inference, you may use uh, the techniques uh, of uh, deep looking 
taught uh, by the Buddha in order to get out of your wrong perception. First of all, you look at the other person and you discriminate against her. She is not me. Why do I have to take care of her? I have my things to do. Uh, there are uh, moments when you, when you discriminate like that. The barrier is set by your way of thinking. Uh, or when you say, my, it is my country, right or wrong, it is my country. I have to follow and support my country. That is, uh, that is uh, the stand uh, dictated by discrimination. But when you learn uh, a Buddhist meditation, you try to use your intelligence in order to look in such a way that you can remove that kind of, uh, of uh, distinction, that kind of discrimination. And so discursive, uh, the discursive way can also help you to approach the realm of the ultimate. But when uh, when you fail to do that, although you think a lot, you reason a lot, uh, you speculate a lot, you belong, your, your conviction belongs to the third category, Eros. In the teaching, there is the word, uh, there is the expression, para. Uh, um, Parakampita Svabhava, the nature of uh, discrimination. And uh, if uh, there is intervention of this uh, tendency to discriminate, and then you fall always to the third mode of cognition, erroneous. Because uh, the discriminative mind, Nukvikanpa Asnana, Ah, Vitampa. Vitampa. Vitampa is the is the element that causes uh, all kind of errors. Vitampa means discrimination. It is Paravit uh, Parakampita, the same. But when you use uh, the Buddhist method of looking deeply, you use uh, the meditation on impermanence and non-self non and uh, interbeing or emptiness, you begin to get away from Vikampa. And you have a chance to touch suchness. And that kind of uh, Capacity is called Nyut Vikanta Snana. The wisdom of non discrimination. Nyut means non, Vikanta means discrimination. Because our mind tends to, to, to chop reality into several pieces. 
and conceive a space as existing independently from all the other pieces. And that is uh, the discriminative mind. The practice of meditation is to train ourselves in a way to look, to discover the nature of interconnectedness of things. And finally, you get uh, the non-discriminative uh, wisdom so that you can touch uh, the field of uh, things in themselves. And uh, this uh, is called Paratantra. Paratantra means uh, the nature of uh, of uh, reality uh, that begin to reveal to you in the direction of uh, suchness. And when, when your practice of uh, Paratantra uh, has been completed, your Nirvikampasjana become uh, perfect, and then uh, you, can, uh, you can touch the true nature of reality, which is called the nature of Nishpana. Nishpana. So Paratantra is uh, leading to Nishpana. And as we are in Parakampita, we have to be aware, aware that we are still in the, in, the, in the world of discrimination. So we should train ourselves in order to look and to touch things in such a way that can reveal the true nature of things. It is said that Nishpana is the nature of reality when Paratantra has been realized perfectly. So Paratantra is the way to Nishpana. And all of us are on the path of Paratantra, learning to, lo- to, le- learning to see things with a non-discriminative mind. The twenty-fifth mental consciousness is the root of all actions. Body and speech. I think uh, it should be like uh, the root of all actions. Semicolon. Thought, body and speech. Because a thought is an action, is a category of action. Thinking is about uh, is one category of action. Body is uh, another category of uh, action, and speech is the third one. Its nature is cogitating, but not continuous, because a mental consciousness can uh, 
can stop. In the case uh, we dream, uh, we, we sleep without dream, uh, we faint, and uh, when we enter the, the concentration of uh, no thinking, no uh, perception. And uh, it gives rise to actions leading to maturation and play the role of the gardener who sows the seed. Mental consciousness is very important in learning, in training, for, uh, in transforming. It can initiate the kind of action that lead to maturation, whether in the good direction or in the bad directions. And it can uh, sow the, the wholesome seed or the unwholesome seed. It is responsible for many things. Mental consciousness is always functional, except in a state of non-perception, in the two attainments, in deep sleep and well fainting. These are five um, uh, four, uh, four. non-perception, that is uh, a state of samadhi, the two attainments, that is the attainment of uh, no thinking, no perception, in this deep sleep and when fainting. There are three forms of mental consciousness. The first form is uh, cooperating with the five. The second form is operating alone, whether in dispersion, or in concentration, or in psychosis. When it, uh, mental, form, uh, mental consciousness can perform alone, like in dream. When we dream, there is no cooperation from the other five consciousness, eyes, ear, nose, tongue, and body. And yet, you can uh, see things, you can hear, listen, you hear things, you can touch things, because you are using the elements of the, in the realm of mere images. You don't need the, uh, your actual eyes and ear and nose and tongue and body anymore because all these images are already available in store. You, so you can help yourself and you can create uh, uh, your dream, the world in which you can. So that is an instance when uh, mental consciousness operates alone. Or when you do thinking, you close your eyes, you turn off your television, you concentrate on uh, something, and you don't need uh, your eyes, your nose, your tongue, your, your body. It is called in Vietnamese uh, mental consciousness operating alone. It is in this portion, thinking of that, thinking of this, being caught by the past, being caught by the future, 
uh, running to this direction, running to the other direction, that the state of dispersion that many of us find ourselves uh, in in our daily life. That is the opposite of uh, uh, the situation we wish uh, as uh, a meditator, because a meditator wants to be concentrated, to be mindful. So uh, this person is one. Vietnamese is a tán vị ý thức, tán vị ý thức, cooperating alone, đọc đổi ý thức, dispersion, dispersion, tán vị ý thức, concentration, định trung ý thức. Yeah. When we are really concentrated, that is uh, another situation of our mental consciousness. And finally, uh, when we have uh, troubles in our, uh, in our way of perceiving, uh, thinking, and yeah, we have mental illnesses. That is loạn ý thức. Loạn trong ý thức, tức là khi mình điên. When we are um, uh, mentally sick, This is uh, the verse 28. We have left uh, the mental consciousness and co- begin to, uh, to learn about the five uh, consciousness of sensations, namely eyes consciousness, uh, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, uh, tongue consciousness, and body consciousness. Those are mental consciousness. The five consciousnesses of sensations manifest themselves either separately or together with mental consciousness, like waves on water. There is a chance that when your eyes consciousness collaborating with mental consciousness, you can reach the realm, realm of things in themselves. In the case, there is no discrimination. But uh, mental consciousness uh, is very used to uh, think, to discriminate. That is why uh, if you, if, uh, you have uh, been able to touch uh, the world of suchness for the first few seconds and then uh, You may lose it uh, on the third, on the fourth uh, second. Because uh, Vikanta, the tendency to discriminate between this and that, uh, to, to conceive things in terms of opposites, to see things outside of each other, is always there and prevent us to, to, to touch uh, the realm of uh, suchness. <coughs> But alone, left alone, the five consciousness have motions.
warning the organ of uh, sensation and counter the object of sensation you rise to the you give rise to uh, to consciousness it's still possible that uh, that uh, I as consciousness continue to touch the realm of uh, suchness, even if uh, mental consciousness intervene. But that, that is rare. The 29, the fear of cognition is the fear of things in themselves. The mode of cognition is direct, intuitive. When they operate alone, they always the mode of cognition is always intuitive. That is that is why they have more chance. With the collaboration of mental consciousness, uh, the thinking and explanation will come very soon. That is why it has less strength. The nature may be wholesome, unwholesome, or neutral. They may operate on the subtle sense organs and the sensation center in the brain. The subtle sense organs here means uh, the sensation uh, nerves, like our optic nerves, that we cannot see uh, with our eyes. So we can see only the, the eyes, the rough organ. We can see the subtle organ. The subtle organ here, uh, in Sutra, it means um, mm, the, the sensory um, uh, nerves that are hidden behind the coarse uh, organ. And also the sensation center within the brain, they are based on that. The thirtieth, the concomitant mental states comprise the universal, the particulars, the wholesomes, the basic unwholesomes, the two secondary unwholesomes, and so the tribute, aversion, and confusion. All these mental formations are, mm, are uh, compatible with uh, the five uh, consciousnesses. Consciousness can be viewed as having three parts, the perceiver, the perceived, and the wholeness. All sets of mental formations are the same. Here with the 30 second, we go back to, uh, to the general. We have ended uh, the discussion about uh, the five uh, sensation, the five consciousnesses of sensation with the 31st. Now we come to marginal terms used to all eight consciousness. Consciousness can be viewed as having three parts. This is very helpful. The conceiver, the conceived, and the wholeness. Of course, it's 
and mental formations that uh, that go along with consciousness are the same. That means uh, they have or, or also they also have uh, three elements: subject, object, and uh, and the base. I remember very well my teacher. He uh, he gave me um, he picked up a snail uh, on the bush and uh, he showed me when you pick up a snail on the bush, uh, it's two antenna antenna will uh, be withdrawn and it does not look like a snail anymore. So you have to release it, and a few minutes later it uh, manifests itself again. And two, the two antennas are, 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 are apparent again. He said, one antenna is the subject of cognition, the second antenna is the object of cognition, and the whole body of uh, the snail is uh, the whole, the, the wholeness, the substance of cognition. So every cognition, every consciousness has these three parts. It's like uh, the piece of 25 cents I talked to you uh, about uh, last time. There's uh, the face, um, the pile, um, the head and the tail that I was using French. Uh, <laughs> uh, the head, the tail, and the metal. Dakshana Bhaga means um, the uh, the first of uh, these three uh, aspects of cognition. Uh, Dakshana Bhaga is uh, the subject of cognition. Nimitta uh, Bhaga. is the object of recognition. It is uh, the first, uh, it is the two uh, antenna. But we have to uh, conceive another third, another element, which is called uh, Svabhava Bhaga. It is uh, the first, uh, it is the two uh, antenna. But we have to uh, conceive another third, another element, which is called uh, Svabhava Bhaga. It is, uh, in Vietnamese, we call it Tử Thế Phần. Kiến Phần. In Vietnamese, Daksana Bhaga, Nimitta Bhaga, Tuong Phan, and Svabhava Bhava, Tử Thế Phan. So, the wholeness. Uh, 
of cognition. And uh, this is considered to be the ground, and this is uh, considered, these are two, are considered to be uh, manifestation from this. And it is uh, repeated and repeated again and again that every consciousness has three parts. Every mental formation has three parts. Every object of cognition, every seat within our consciousness also has three parts. The seat of anger in you, even before it is manifested as a mental formation, it also possesses within itself the three parts. And when it is manifested as a zone of energy called anger in your mental consciousness, it also has three parts. Because to be, to be angry is to be angry at someone. Object of anger, subject of anger, and also the ground on which these two subject and object can be manifested. And that is the first thing to remember. Everything should be viewed as having these three, three elements that cannot be separated from each other, that can only uh, coexist. Lacking one, the other two cannot be. This is because that is. And the second thing to remember is that in that one, you can identify the all. Well, you can say that a seat of uh, a, a seat of anger is only a seat of anger. But in fact, in the seat of anger, you can touch all the other seats the seat of love, the seat of reconciliation. Anger is made of non-anger elements. Like a flower is made of non-flower elements. The one contains the all. We have the tendency to think that uh, we have a seat of love, we have a seat of anger. Why do we need uh, to say that love is contained within anger and anger is contained within love? It's not that is because of our tendency to think in, uh, in terms of uh, Vikampa. In fact, any, any mental formation, whether wholesome or unwholesome, if you can perceive deeply its true nature, uh, you can get uh, full enlightenment. Because uh, the one contains all the informations about the all. Like uh, if you study a leaf, and if you know how to study deeply, uh, we can understand the whole tree. 
you can study a pebble and you can understand the whole uh, cosmos. Because the teaching is the one contains the all. That is why uh, we know that the seed of anger, the seed of delusion, contain within themselves the seed of love, the seed of enlightenment. And this goes perfectly with uh, the teaching of the Buddha, uh, all teachings of the Buddha, including the first teaching concerning the Four Noble Truths. The first truth is about suffering, and it is called a noble truth. It is noble because looking deeply into suffering, you see the other three truths, namely the truth of the cause, the truth of uh, uh, nirvana, of release, and the truth of the way. If you look deeply into suffering, you can see the way out of suffering and the uh, realization of uh, well-being. That is why uh, interconnectedness, interbeing, the one contains the all, is a very important aspect of the Buddhist teaching. You don't need to learn uh, uh, everything, you just learn one thing. And if you learn deeply, you understand every teaching. Try the five mindfulness trainings. And you see that if you practice uh, one of them in depth, you practice all the other four. And that is why uh, if there is someone who says, hey, I can only receive uh, two or three mindfulness trainings, I'm not discouraged at all. I said, please go ahead. <laughs> Because deeply in my heart, I know that if uh, she or he practice deeply these three, and then she practice also the, the, the other two. Because uh, uh, intervening is, we have to remember, we have to train ourselves in, to look in, uh, in that way. I think uh, the 50 verses are, may not... Uh, it is. They are not difficult as they, they, they seem to be. <laughs> uh, if you have a chance to listen to uh, the tapes again for a second time, I, I'm confident that you understand it all. We'll continue tomorrow. <laughs>